five years ago um it was still strong but not that strong you know you hear of the you know, a lot of people have heard of the farm in northwest iowa that brought thirty thousand an acre welcome back to the mac podcast where we talk about anything with business entrepreneurship and also investing Guys, if you want to challenge the conventional thinking and uh, want to break free of literally the herd and create your real success, you are in the right place, guys. I don't, I don't have ads on this channel. I just ask that you subscribe, share this with someone that you know it'll help someone in the future. Um, please, uh, anyone you could share this with, that is how we promote the channel through you. So, um, guys, I have a awesome guest on today. He is a farm boy turned into a farm succession expert. Um, guys, he's looking for turning farmers into expert wealth outside of farming, which I think is an important topic as we live in North Dakota. Uh, he's in Iowa. Um, guys, welcome to the podcast, Mike Downey. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Hey, I appreciate it. And farming is always like a hot topic because like literally 70% of the Dakotas is farmers. <laughs> and, and you know, for good reason. We have a lot of flat land and uh, a good soil. So um, I'm interested I'm interested in this podcast as well and, and probably got some questions for you. But why don't you give your story, your background, kind of how you got into this? Because um, uh, I think I find that pretty interesting as well. So. Yeah, actually, I was born and raised on a farm in West Central Illinois. Um, went down to University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana for my ag degree. I still remember back in the late '90s, you know, up to 2000 when I was, uh, you know, coming up to to graduate. The price of corn was about a dollar eighty a bushel. So <laughs> if you have a for your farmer followings there, they can probably appreciate that. And yep. my uh, opportunity at the time for that reason wasn't real strong to return to my family farm. So my first job brought me to Eastern Iowa, North Iowa City, where I'm still at today. And uh, my first uh, profession, if you will, was working in the farm management, farm real estate brokerage business for a number of years. But then I first met uh, uh, the owner of one of the owners of NextGen, which I'm part of today, that uh, probably 11 or 12 years ago when my parents were interested in meeting with somebody on their estate planning, farm right. transition, how to pass this down. And that's when I took an interest in that area. And then uh, I guess, long story short, that's what I focus on today, specialize working with family farms to help understand all those options, avoid the pitfalls and help them put together a good plan for themselves. And then uh, as we were talking there beforehand, uh, my wife and I have also kind of launched a, a newer entity that, uh, I wasn't exactly, I uh, never thought I would, but uh, I found that there's a, a, a real interest out there in the ag community for not only farmers, but just a lot of ag professionals out there about uh, diversifying off the farm or trying to find other supplemental income sources to support the farm. And uh, so we've created a farm-raised community for those that want to, you know, invest and learn together about those type of opportunities of other investments. Cool. No, that's awesome. I so how um just as a question, I'm trying to think how how do you do you go out and do outreach to farmers? I mean, do you go out and meet them on the farm or are you finding them with your social media presence or are you finding them cold outreach? You know, I just just curious how you're getting uh curiosity with your, you know, with your plan. 
Yeah, you bet. Well, there's, you know, basically four or five of us that do this, you know, day to day. We each work with maybe 50 farm operations in a given year. Okay. A lot of it's referral based from their, you know, them or their advisors, you know, their, their lenders, accountants and so forth. Okay. And, uh, but, you know, we've all also are asked to speak at different ag meetings and groups. So we get some exposure and we also do some writing out there and some ag publications. So I think, okay. I think a lot of it's organically and through referrals. And uh, I'm reluctantly trying to get more involved on social media and we're <laughs> revamping our website to try to get, you know, more uh, of a online presence, if you will, as we speak. Yeah. Well, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. I, I, why I asked that is because yeah, most of them don't spend time on social media, right? Like you're not, it's probably a challenge for you. And and that makes you talking to accountants, you're talking to the bankers, you're talking to different tax, you know, I think, I think farmers and in particular, literally in recessions that farm prices stay high, they, they do pretty well. Right. And, and, and not all of them, but I, I think the bigger farm, these farms just seem to get bigger and bigger. Um, and, and they have an income problem, which creates a tax problem. Right. And, and so do you help solve and mitigate some of that? Yeah. You know, agriculture is a cyclical business. Farming okay. is with ups and downs. And it seems like, uh, we have more worldwide factors that can affect us here in the corn belt, you know, things going on over in Ukraine and, you know, China yeah. and just, uh, weather, you know, mother nature, you know, everything. <laughs> that can affect us and just a lot of all the technology occurring out there is just crazy. But we're, you know, we, I find myself talking a lot about the threats and concerns about family farms, but big picture, we're very optimistic about the opportunities. When you look at the the farmland here in the Dakotas and Iowa and just the Midwest here, Corn Belt, yeah. the, some of the most productive farmland in the world that they're not making any more of. But uh, so that's, but we want, to try to preserve the integrity of the family farm and helping okay. pass things down. And as land prices have drastically increased and inflated the cost of machinery, uh, all of that, or, you know, th it's just uh, things we have to have a conversation about, you know, it's different economics that we're working with and, yeah. you know, and then estate taxes, transfer costs, you know, mm. other income sources to support bringing in a son or daughter you know, all of the, all of these factors play into it. Yeah. I, uh, well, I always, you know, I think about the, the, the farmers. So are you helping farmers like with their operations or anything like of how to, cause you're, you're in the succession of after, right. The legacy portion of it, making sure they're set up, right. Are you, are you working with active farmers or just ones that are looking to retire, which is the boomers and, and a, a big generation right now? Yeah, I th I, we have three primary programs, the estate and legacy planning, the transition part. We okay. also have what's called century match program, where we're matching up maybe farmers that don't have a successor. There's a high percentage of farm farmers that have children, but they don't actively farm. And they would be interested in maybe, mm. you know, instead of just having a farm sale, maybe transition their farm to a non-related successor. That could be the future of farm transition, actually. Is more transition between non-related families so we have a matching program to help facilitate that and then thirdly more of a consulting a, a farm advisory program where we're seeing a trend where more and more operations are treating their farm as a business mm. even putting together a board of supervisor a, a oh, wow. you know, board of 
you know, advisors to work with them and their other advisors. And, you know, so we uh, have a number of operations that we, you know, basically are their certified farm advisor or coordinator, quarterback. Okay. Uh, one calls me their accountability partner, you know, <laughs> just uh, somebody to coordinate with them and have quarterly meetings and maybe uh, at a bare minimum, an annual kind of strategic planning, you know, what, look at our operation, our different enterprises and just have a good brainstorming session. Wow. That's, uh, that's really cool. So what, what are some of the, what are some of the challenges? Um, obviously you crew, there's a few of you in this, uh, you know, in the farm raised, what are some of the challenges that farmers are facing right now? Or what, you know, what problem do you really, are you solving? Because, I think farmers we were talking before, it's like farmers, they know their operations, right? Like that's what they, they've grown up. Usually it's a generational thing, right? Like I don't at mid thirties decide to go be a farmer. Now there is those people out there, but um, it seems like it's always generational and in the family. Um, what, what's their, what's some of their biggest challenges you think in, in the cyclical markets? Certainly minimizing the, you know, what could, what equity they could lose from their transfer from estate tax, transfer costs, administration fees. Certainly that's, you know, on our list. Um, you know, but quite frankly, I would say probably more from a, a transitional standpoint, it's just the, the price, what the price of farmland has done. Yeah. And when we're trying to pass this down, you know, think about every family farm, that's been divided or split up at every generation or every family farm that's been paid for at every generation. Yeah. Cause we're buying out siblings or other members of the farm. And can we continue to afford to do that? And uh, so I think as a general rule, um, you know, don't let land prices and time pass you by because it can sneak up and uh, affect because it's when you put pencil to paper on some of these economics, I just went through it with my family farm. I, Dad passed away last year, and my wife and I bought our family farm from his estate. Uh, five generations were actually getting the Heritage uh, Award this summer at the Iowa State oh, cool. Fair for 150 years. And uh, cool, but yeah, I can tell you that was pretty depressing. You know, even if I take off half the value from my inheritance to do the math to buy out my sister's half, it was pretty depressing that the income from the farm still won't, you know, basically cover the the debt service you know, to buy out half the farm. That's a, dude, that's a super big problem right now. I, you know, I should ask you what's farmland in, I like, if I want decent farmland, it doesn't have to be the best or the worst, but like right in the middle, what's the cost of the farmland? What what would I pay in Iowa if I wanted to buy a couple thousand acres, even if I could even find it? Well, as we speak, just right before we got on this call, Mark, uh, my, Wife's family farm is here in eastern Iowa that we work with back and forth. And okay, my wife and my wife and I bought another farm that we. When I slow down in the harvest time, I help her cousin on the family farm. But there was a farm that just literally got listed for sale um, yesterday for seventeen thousand five hundred an acre. Wow! Oh, and uh, wow! Yeah, what was that like five years the, ago? Five years ago. Um, it was still strong, but not that strong. You know, you hear of the, you know, a lot of people have heard of the farm in Northwest Iowa that brought 30,000 an acre. Um, there's been a lot of $20,000 an acre sales, but I would say pretty common today, 15,000 plus or minus. And 
five, 10 years ago, you know, you know, 10, 12,000 an acre was a super, super high sale, you know, so. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're probably a little behind you then. I think there were some acres that sold for 6,500. That was good farmland near the Canadian border. Um, all the way from now you hear 10 pretty commonly, which is crazy to me, but. Which I think is why you see in some of the news and press out there of some of the different folks that have gone purposely to North Dakota to buy land. Yeah. Um, with, with technology and everything that might over time be not too far behind the productive, you know, capability of land here in Iowa or the mid, you know, Illinois, just because right. of technologies and what sort, but you can obviously get purchased at a lot less price. Yeah. Hashtag Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> those, those guys are up here all the time buying stuff. So it must be, must be cheap enough or, or whatever happens in, you know, Iowa, the demand, you know, obviously the production's got to make, make sense, but what I find is, I mean, for the barriers to entry for farming, you talked about debt service coverage ratio. If I were to go buy 2000 acres and finance 65%, like it wouldn't, the math would be backwards tenfold, wouldn't it? Well, you hit home. I mean, on our, my wife and I, my wife and I's own journey, you know, our, at the end of the day, we want to own land. That's a legacy we want to pass to our children, but you know, 15 years ago after the 2008, you know, market crash, we were saving enough to buy a farm and we just realized this doesn't make sense. The barrier of entry, you know, to buy a farm, to have it float on its own, and it, you know, you're not really left with any cash flow. So that's really got where we shifted to more commercial real estate that I know you're involved with too. Just the, the barrier of entry is much easier. It offers positive cash flow, better tax write-offs and benefits. And over time, you know, we can use that equity to then, you know, buy farmland, which is our gold, if you will, that we wish to preserve our wealth, you know, for our family. Gotcha. So does it make sense? And I'm just asking the question, um, because for me to go buy farmland and get a three, two cap, probably a two cap um, type, you know, return on my money, um, if I had it paid for, like I said, the, the 2000 acres, even if I could afford it is only going to return two, 3%, maybe, maybe, um, of course there's appreciation on there, but you can't almost pull zero debt on it. Um, that's where I pivot. Uh, same thing. I talked to farmers and, and, you know, where can we find more yield? Um, you know, in commercial real estate, obviously there's a little more yield there. You're talking seven caps now and, and things that you can actually leverage a little more, um, so would you recommend you said you're buying real estate and then, and then actually buying more farmland? Is that for your wife's operation only, or are you telling, or is that what you're recommending for most farmers is leverage the real estate for more yield and then buy more farmland? The big, the big buzzword that we're hearing in our farm raised community is diversification <clears throat> Okay, um, as a, as a general rule family farms are not well diversified. They invest everything into the farm yep. or they may have a, a SEP IRA off to the side here. So okay. um, that's where I, you know, even that presentation I give to that group I mentioned earlier, the group of farmers, I think that's where it resonated is just the diversification. Um, but also some passive supplemental income, you know, a, a lot of farm operations have supplemental income from other enterprises on the farm. Sure. Seed businesses, crop insurance sales, 
livestock businesses, you know, enterprises. Um, all of those require time where if you could pull a little equity off your operation here or there and invest in more commercial, you know, passive investments that create passive income and some tax benefits that, I mean, over time, as we see farms transition, I think will be an important part of that play. So that's, that's been our story. Um, okay. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, over time, we'd love to buy more farmland and we'll probably do that here where we live just, uh, for our kids, they'll have more of a, a sentimental value, but certainly, uh, you know, my, my family farm, I, uh, the Downey family farms over in Dallas County, Iowa. And certainly, uh, if any of that land that used to be in our family were ever to come available, that I'd love that, that opportunity to, to buy it back. So, yeah. Well, I live in a space where I work with I work with farmers as well. I work uh, I do farmland, you know, and and obviously when you just buy farmland like you said, uh diversification is the is the buzzword, but when you have farmland when it converts to asphalt or concrete or you start implementing development into the land and kind of raising the value, say it's near a town, right? Not just super rural. But once you're developed, that's when the returns can get exponential for most farmers too. You know what I mean? Like that's a, uh, some of the most successful farm operations I know have converted some into development. Of course, those are the ones I worked with. I'm in construction and development investment. Um, and so, you know, I, because like, if you just sat on farmland and it goes from, you know, 15,000 an acre to 20,000 an acre they still don't leverage it. It doesn't seem like most of these farm operations don't leverage the land a whole lot um, or don't try to. It's just like a, it's like the ultimate capital preservation place, right? Like I'd probably call it that. Um, but I think it's important to have, you know, like your program raise awareness to, you need some kind of development. You need some kind of alternative investment to really generate some, uh, I just think you can generate a lot of obviously every farm has turned into some kind of development land. It was, it was farmland that got converted into development and it can go worth from 20,000 an acre to 200,000 an acre, um, you know, pretty easily if you start developing it. So uh, I've talked to some other people about that and, and, you know, most of the farm, most of the farms that convert from just farming to moving into development, sometimes they, they see an exponential uprise, but some farmers don't want to do that. They, they will, they're, you know, stubborn in their ways of, um, and they get in their own way that no, the land has to be the way it is. Um, so, uh, there's an opportunity there for sure. I've seen many farmers become legacy, like their legacy wealth will go on forever with their kids and their kids end up doing the real estate. It seems like now most kids don't want to stay in farming. It's kind of bizarre. Do you, do you see the same things? Do you see like, like I was talking the generations, it doesn't seem like, you know, Hey, I don't want to do farming. I'd rather just sell the farm. So you see some of those turnover on farmsteads. Um, you know, do you see that happening more? Well, as a general rule, what we the challenge that we see is our tax laws, quite frankly, um, as a general rule, the legal community would promote a, a owner of farmland to just continue to own it, pass it through your estate, because there's a word called step up and basis. Mm -hmm. All your land will get a step up and basis. Mm. But if we've got to be really careful about that, because... When you think about it, the same tax laws that disincentivize one generation from selling 
because we'll pay a bunch of capital gain tax. Oh, as the exact opposite for the kids who inherits a farm with a new step up in basis, and now they can sell it tax free. It's better than winning the lottery. Is the the punchline we make it? You know, when we talk in front of a group, it literally is that you can sell it tax free. You don't have to take it uh, over a period of years. Um, so be really careful in a family farm transition. What message is that? If you don't communicate that clearly, why we're doing that? Uh, yeah, that's why we're much more a proponent of more of a proactive plan. Yep. You know, there's other strategies we can go ahead and begin transitioning assets now before death, and it puts some more continuity and and a plan in place, if you will. So walk walk me through that one more time because I think just making it real clear. So basically, the the farm would move to the next generation, the kids, um, and they would get it tax free, or if they sold it. Yeah, the an easy example is, uh, say, a farm in North Dakota that was purchased for a thousand dollars an acre. Yep. That the purchase price is typically what your basis is, or the price. When you inherit an asset, what it was appraised for yep. at that yep. time. But let's say it's a thousand dollars an acre and it's worth seven thousand an acre. You know, if that landowner owner of that farm were to sell that today, that's a six thousand dollar an acre gain. Mm-hmm. They'd have to recognize capital gain tax on. Got it. But if they instead hold on to that and pass it to their kids and that farm appraises for seven thousand an acre current yep. value. Yep. That one th- that one thousand dollar basis will step up and adjust, and now the kids can sell it for seven thousand, and there is no gain and no tax, and and there's no death that needs to take part with that. That's just a transition. No, there is a that is oh, a requirement okay. is death <laughs> is yeah. death. Okay, yeah. okay, got it. Okay, yeah, that's why a lot of as the general rule, the legal community just says don't do don't do anything. Have your will or trust. Pass it to your kids when you're gone. Got it. Okay. Yeah. No, cool. I appreciate you running through that. I think it just makes yeah, it, yeah. makes it easier for the listener. A lot of terms and <laughs> um um I just wanted to make sure I understood it too, because I was like, dang, you just sell it to your kids and then they get the step up basis. But well, it really applies to any asset with appreciated value, other commercial real estate businesses. I mean, there was a, a tax law proposal um a couple of years ago on the table about drastically changing those rules to basically impose a tax on anybody that inherits an appreciated uh, asset. And that would have been very detrimental to family farms. It'd been very detrimental to many family, small businesses everywhere across the country to just inherit or to have to pay a tax just because you inherit something that appreciated in value. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, we know what party just came out with that and, and that, which I'm guessing we don't support all that high in the farm community, but they, uh, yeah, it would force a sale is all that would happen. Even if the kids wanted to keep it, if they were to tax on all that, they would have to sell at least a portion of it to pay for it, which is detrimental to everybody. And, um, I think, you know, it's no different than your stock going up in value and then they tax you on the new basis. Even if you didn't realize the income, it's like, so wait a minute, I have to sell now to pay the taxes. doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think that was when uh, Tesla was leaving California or something. Then <laughs> that's when you heard a lot about it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think that's going to get through the the big house. So um, but yeah, it would be detrimental for sure. I, in any, inve- any investment, any family, cause 
the the step up in basis is you're getting a gift. I don't know if you're getting a gift, but you're you're the succeeder of it. And so should you owe a bunch of taxes because of it? It's probably in debate, right? So um so we're, what else what else are you doing to create awareness for for from raise? So yeah, I'm you know, I'm reluctantly trying to get more involved out there in social media. We're uh, currently revamping our website. You know, we a lot of us are farm kids that farm in some capacity ourselves. We just soon okay. get out there and roll our sleeves up and just talk to farmers. Okay. And we don't have, you know, our downfalls. We don't have a, a really ramped up marketing or advertising budget, if you will. And, yeah. But, you know, but certainly uh, with the likes of social media and ag Twitter and all these things like that, um, we are recognizing that that's probably a missed opportunity that we want to try to take advantage of. So certainly we'll be uh, doing that. Otherwise, um, you know, again, uh, the ag community referrals, you know, organic growth just through that and just other networks we have has been a pretty good source for us. Yeah. So uh, if they reach out to you, Mike, what, what can they expect? Like, what's your, what's your process? What's your flow? Like uh new, new farmer approaches. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know, mid-sized farm, something like that. What do you, what do you, what's your process when you work with a new a new farmer or new so yeah in all cases we always offer an initial consultation meeting no cost or obligation you know on the estate planning side we're not attorneys we're not accountants yeah we just work with a, a number of operations we've seen what's worked well unfortunately we have we've also seen what doesn't work so well so we try to help others avoid those pitfalls and understand the options we work it through the whole process we can meet with the family their other advisors ultimately an attorney um, so we provide all those good options and to help people, you know, choose the one that they, they feel is right in their situation. Um, on the farm raise side where we have folks, you know, joining us or teaming up together to invest in other alternative. I represent that similarly that I'm not a financial advisor, not okay. a real estate investment advisor, but, uh, yeah. my wife and I do enjoy spending our time to go out there and get to know other real estate operators that are doing you know these investments heading them up and take advantage of their deal flow and access to the deals and due diligence underwriting all of that and as those kind of work down through our funnel and we identify three four or five in a given year um hey farm race community we're taking a look at this here's why we like it you know you do your own due diligence and make a decision if it's a, a fit for you or not okay that's Okay, that's really cool. Um, what uh, what's what's some of the best advice you would give like a, a young farmer, say under thirty, just just got you know, I don't know if there was a death or something. You know, do you see a lot of head farmers under thirty? So yeah, certainly there's a sentiment out there that yeah, there's less and less coming back to the farm. But on the flip side of that, I talked to you know young farmers, even professionals out there in the ag industry that would love an opportunity. That's where our matching program, uh, we're having a lot of those conversations, but, you know, certainly the capital required to get into farming, you know, the cost of equipment, the cost of land makes it almost impossible. So oh. I think it's really, uh, you know, uh, telling your story, you know, letting the folks out there that are working with farmers, lenders, accountants, attorneys, you know, the retailers, all of those know that you know, if you know of an operation that's looking for a help or bring a partner in, because yep. 
Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but I think there's we're going to see more and more transition of bringing non-related partners into the business. And yeah. so there are certainly opportunities out there, just a matter of uh, finding them. And those are typically win-win scenarios that we try to set up, you know, a, a win-win for those that are exiting, maybe from a more tax-efficient standpoint. In those transitioning in a better entrance strategy, maybe over a period of years to transition to all of these depreciated assets like farm equipment and uh, so forth. And, you know, trying to maintain those relationships with landlords as they pass from one generation to the next. Uh, one thing we haven't hit on that I think is a huge concern of mine out there is the educational gap between one generation and the next. You know, mm. who's going to own farmland in the future? As a general rule, they're becoming more and more removed from agriculture. So these little things that, that we take advantage that people just know that landowners know, um, yep. don't take advantage of that because, or don't, don't take that for granted because just don't assume it. Um, there was just a survey done here in Iowa asking the landowners about carbon credit programs and like 30 to 40% of them have never even heard of it. Oh, wow. So, you know, those are, you know, things we take for granted. And you're, you're creating awareness for those, right? Like, is that, is that what you do or, you know, what, why do you think that, you know, and I'm, I'm guessing it's just a generational thing, right? Like, well, I only know what my dad knew. Like my dad didn't know business when I was a contractor. Um, so when I was growing a business, it was painful. I was like, all the problems were on me. Um, and I didn't really know how to run a business. I just didn't. Um, but what I started figuring out was, uh, you need, you need people and you need to educate yourself. Like I started getting curious, like, how do you make yourself more efficient? And I don't know if farming, you can be very relaxed in it and do just the normal things are the same, but it seems like technology is taking over farming too. I mean, between the sprayers and the GPS items and the, and the amount of ergonomics, I mean, it's just like, um, um, there's still a lot of technology into it. What, you know, you still think that there's lack of education, like you said, 30 to 40% still aren't even taking advantage of all the programs they can, they can get. So, yeah, I mean, speaking of technology, by the way, I was just blown. So I'm doing a monthly meetup, uh, farm talk Friday, first Friday okay. of every month. And yep. the topic in July was about art, uh, artificial intelligence. And I was just, we had somebody demonstrate that in chat GPT to us and I was just blown away to it, but you know, there's certainly some opportunities there for pharma, uh, the farm community, but also a lot of threats, quite frankly. But um, going back to your question, you know, in some cases, we're communicating with five different generations yeah. in a family farm transition. Every generation communicates in a different way. <laughs> so that's yeah. certainly, a, you know, a challenge that we need to recognize. But, but yeah, as a general rule, for whatever reason, you know, family farms that maybe fail to communicate to the next generation, fail to transition some leadership and management mm. uh, while they're still here to do so. Those are the ones that are probably going to have a, you know, an increased chance of not having a successful transition mm -hmm. versus those that are more open, have family meetings, show the kids how to manage the farm and uh, transfer that leadership and that management while you're here to do so. Yeah. Yeah. That's always good to see if you're, yeah, if you're not uh, communicating on your farm, don't hold it all in. You're, 
You never know. Anything can happen at any point. You want to always set up people for success. I, I, well, and I, you know, you think about a lot of farmers. I work with a lot of farmers still farming in their 70s, 80s. My all time record high was 98 years old. <laughs> um, and that's a true story. But, you know, you know, a lot of them don't have other hobbies. That's all they love to do farming. It's in their blood. It's what yeah. they're born to do. So, so sometimes it's hard to, you know, stop that. And, you know, with technologies, like you mentioned, it's allowed farmers to farm longer. It's not as quite as labor intensive as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, and, and I think you just get, like you said, all those generations, um, you get the baby boomers, they'll do everything themselves. You know, they don't, they don't need anyone else. They don't like relying on other people. I think that's just, even if you go up another generation, you know, above them, it's, uh, they did everything themselves. They relied on themselves. They didn't want to rely on a bunch of help. And now as you, uh, these farms seem to get bigger and bigger and the small ones kind of peter out. I, I don't know if it's just an efficiency standpoint, but, um, the big ones seem to keep winning and, 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 and moving up. I, I don't know if that's in all cases, that's just the way I'm seeing it. But, um, yeah, you really, you really need to, I lacked in business. Like you're talking about contracting. I just didn't know anything, right? Like I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and I only knew what my dad knew was work really hard. It'll pay off and, 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 you know, work harder, make more money and not how to leverage other people and SOPs and, you know what I mean? Systems, processes, and, and different things of just like, here, here's how you do this. Or no, my dad always deals with the finances and I always deal with the combine. It's like, well, at some point you need to learn, you got to learn both. And so, you know, make sure that you're setting up, you know, if you're a farmer listening to this or even in business, like make sure you're setting up whoever's going to succeed you. They know every aspect because the end of the day, that's what's gonna, it just has to happen. Otherwise you're setting someone else up for failure. They're just not going to know what they're going to know. So uh, it's really, it's a really good point as, as we're in a, I don't know, what is our 10,000 baby boomers retiring each day? A group of those are farmers and, uh, you know, either they're selling the farm or succeeding with the kids. And so set them up for success so they can win and not get a big tax burden faced upon them because, uh, that's the worst. Um, Mike, what's, uh, what's one of your biggest fears? I'm going to throw you a first curveball. Well, I mean, personally, the thing, uh, speaking, uh, you know, the legacy part of it hits home for me, for my own, you know, okay. just bought the, uh, my family farm that was homesteaded in back in 1872, oh, wow. 50 years, you know, so one fear that I have that I think a lot of uh, family farms I work with is losing the farm. You know, I work with a lot of folks that went through the 1980s farm crisis. Uh, mm -hmm. I fear that some of the younger generation doesn't, um, understand that and that, you know, interest rates don't always stay low and the price of corn doesn't always stay at $5 a bushel or higher. You know, those types of uh, fears is what I have and keep me up at night. And, uh, but again, I think that comes back to the education piece and communication and, uh, you know, treating the farm more like a business, quite frankly. And I think more and more are. Okay. What if you, let's just hypothetically, your fear happens, right? You lose the entire farm. It's gone. How do you break into getting that back up? How how do you fight like hell to get it back? Where do you start? What would be your plan of attack? Yeah, there's an old saying. I'm sure any uh, farmers that might be listening to your 
your podcast here and a lot of times you only have one opportunity to buy a farm in your lifetime so um that's that's again what maybe the source of that fear is too but um but you know certainly position yourselves to do so or your family as we talk about uh transition planning and transferring wealth from one generation to the next to preserve that let's not let's minimize what we give back away to the federal government or whoever just administration transfer costs yeah that's that you've worked so hard for and to position the next generation for the best success and if worst case scenario that's to buy back a farm that uh, you know we lost during our farming career um that could potentially be a scenario cool cool like that um what uh i'm trying to think on the the farming if if i was looking at a 2000 acre farm, you know, uh, just, just myself, uh, let's say if it's a diversification tool for myself, right? Like I'm just buying another business. Um, and I think this happens. Um, I'm a contractor, so we get very little insurance on, you know, you don't have any work. You just don't have, it's a, it's a blue sky environment where farming's more methodical. Hopefully at some point you get the seed in and it, you know, and, and it does the thing and you can harvest. Um, how do I approach buying a farm today or what, how do you approach buying a farm today? Or, or, you know, do farms really even come up for sale or is it a transition? You know what I mean? I don't even know if there's a market for that. I'm more or less curious. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, and there's, you know, you ask who's buying land because okay. you know, people might have different motives. You know, there's some of people, some people have heard of recently, there's a group of professional athletes that have teamed together. Yeah, buy farmland together. You know, yeah. They're basically, you know, doing a syndication or pooling together funds to buy farmland. You know, their their motives to buy land are probably different. You know, for diversification, um, for their portfolio, whereas other land buyers or folks that are act, actually actively farming that they're purchasing that to rely on their business and their livelihood. Right. And uh, so, but yeah, as far as farmland. Uh, yeah, a lot of it is sold by just private listings, or excuse me, public listings. Okay. Like you'd see for a house in town, or okay. auctions. Auctions are fairly common, and now with our whole virtual world we live in, a lot of them are sold virtually. You know, virtual auctions where, yeah, you know, Bill Gates could attend an auction from wherever he's at to buy land in North Dakota virtually. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, and I think. You know, statistically speaking, farmers still purchase about two thirds of land offered for sale. Oh, okay. And yep. And the other third is purchased by non-farming groups, whether that's investors, uh, institutional funds, um, you know, professional athletes, Bill Gates, you know, <laughs> whoever it may yeah. be. And, you know, and there, unfortunately, there's more and more reports of foreign ownership. You know, I don't want to get into politics but certainly uh oh there's a uh, you know you think about all of the productive land here in the corn belt that you know who would like to own that certainly uh there's some foreign interests that would love to as well do you think um so obviously like bill gates he's just owning the land for rental purposes right like he's not owning the land to operate on it i don't think um, are these athletes looking to operate on the land or is it literally just a holding of land? Yeah, I think it's more of an investment. Well, they'll 
probably have somebody that's helping them manage that investment and find a renter. Okay. You know, Bill Gates might be at a level that he has different um, proactive strategies in place for his estate planning with, you know, through foundations and okay. uh, charitable, uh, you know, provisions within his estate plan that might also, you know, be motivating him to purchase long-term assets like farmland. Um, but yeah, for the most part, uh, the farms are rented out, you know, no, no different than a apartment complex is rented out. Yeah, for the for the investors who's the own it, and there's typically a a property management company or person in place to help with that. Oh, love it, man! I uh, that's uh, so it's just yeah, it's just rentals. I think the it seems like no matter what, that seems to rent. Um, it's just how hard. Uh, it seems like I always get told it's like how productive the year is going to be or the prices. What dictates the rent of of farmland? I'm curious. Say that again. What? Well, like what dictates the price, the rental price of the farmland? Is it just the going rate of someone else next door or uh, commodities itself? Yeah, well, that's a whole nother podcast, Mark. But uh, <laughs> um, but we're in a highly competitive market, whether it's purchasing land or renting farmland. The access to farmland is another you know, concern that a lot of operations just having that opportunity, you know. But for that reason, it, you know... Uh, you know, it has been supporting a strong market even through some of the down cycles we've had in agriculture here recently. And, but, you know, I'm not saying this is right, but I would say kind of what is dictating it is the market who's willing to pay the highest price. I'm not saying that's right. Um, in a perfect world, if agriculture was working in a perfect equilibrium, we would find ways to purchase land and rent farmland where everything cash flows and it's right. fair for everybody, but that's not in the, the world we operate in. So, you know, especially with the advent of virtual auctions and even virtual cash rent auctions, you know, uh, yeah. there's a story here in Iowa, a thousand acres that was rented out virtually and they had, uh, I think it was like 40 or 50 different bids from, you know, basically wow. five different States, you know, the, you know, one of the winning bids came from 85 miles away. So that, you know, you talked about earlier, farm, re farm operation getting bigger, you know, that's a conversation we have is do we have to transition? Do we have to go 85 miles away to find a renter for our farm. You know, when there's, we draw a circle around our farm of 10 mile radius. So there's yeah. probably, you know, we take advantage of, we don't, we think we know everybody, but in a lot of cases we don't. And there's probably a lot of capable young producers that we could rent our farmland too. And so as we transition, try to do it in a more responsible way. Gotcha. Yeah. I've never even heard of that. That's uh that's crazy though. That yeah. 85 miles away, you're driving the tractor. I don't, I don't want to be that guy <laughs> trying to figure out how to get equipment yeah. over there. Two, three counties away. You know, the concern is that farmer is probably a great guy. Don't get me wrong. Or gal, a uh, very capable producer. Just they're probably less apt to, buy their seed and their farm inputs locally. Okay. They're less apt to support the local businesses, the schools, yeah. and so forth. Yeah, got it. Um, um, one last question before we try to figure out where to where to all find you. Um, what doesn't follow the herd mean to you? Actually, I was you know reading a bit on that, and it kind of resonated because I feel like when I look back at my own journey, it's more of a, a farm spin on that, but against the grain, 
Oh, I like that. And I feel like in a lot of cases, I've forced myself to educate and go against the grain on what I was basically born and raised to believe like a lot of folks in the ag community, you know, that we were supposed to go to school, get a job, um, you know, save for retirement, start a family, buy your house, get it paid for all these things. And uh, so as I've kind of stepped out of that traditional path and gone against the grain, you will, that's what I think of when you ask me that question, which is maybe kind of what you're referring to just in a different lingo. Yeah. Yeah. Against the grain. No pun intended. I, I, I like that, that you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where do we, how do we find more about you, Mike? Sure. Well, the, uh, the legacy planning side of the business is next gen ag advocates. That's at nextgenag.us. And then, uh, our newer community for those that might be interested in teaming up to invest together, that's farmraisedcapital.com. And I'm also hosting now, uh, the first Friday of every month, two ag meetups, uh, 9 a.m. Central virtually over Zoom is Farm Talk Friday. That's where we just talk about anything to do with farm transitions. Yeah. Um, and then uh, at one hour after that at 10 a.m. Central is more of the passive investing meetup that we have for folks interested in that. So. Cool. Well, you should be uh, very interested if you're just into your farm operation and that is all. Um you should have multiple sources of income and multiple sources to save more money on taxes. Cause I think that's what Mike's all about. And uh, if you can do two of those things, you will have a lot more relief in life and, and just maybe, maybe it's a lack of knowledge. You know, I think, I think having the knowledge of how to save more money, that's what changed my life. And, and uh, no, man, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're out preaching it to the farm community. Uh, I think it's, you know, underserved. So I'm glad you're out there doing it and, and uh, I appreciate you having on, man. Well, hey, thanks for having us and appreciate those comments. Yeah. All right. See you, man.